You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is my frequent co-host, Cindy Johnson, and we are recording at the semi-professional Bluefish Boulevard Studios in historic Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Hi, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. It's nice to be here. By the way, did you know that in 2008, National Geographic listed Portsmouth, New Hampshire number 28 on its list of the world's most historic places, and number six in that category in the United States? Lots of people come to Portsmouth for its restaurants, but another big attraction is its tremendous maritime history. That's right. The Portsmouth area has a long tradition of shipbuilding. The HMS Falkland, which was commissioned here in 1696, is considered the first British warship built in the 13 colonies. During the Revolution, the Raleigh was built in 1776 on Badger's Island, just across the Piscataqua River in Kittery, Maine, and became the first vessel to fly an American flag into battle. The Ranger was launched from Badger's Island in 1777. The Ranger is famed for the one-ship guerrilla campaign waged by its captain, John Paul Jones, against the British during the Revolution. Today, you can visit the John Paul Jones House, open as a museum, that's also the headquarters of the Portsmouth Historical Society. The Portsmouth Naval Shipyard, established in 1800, is the U.S. Navy's oldest continuously operating shipyard. The workforce at the shipyard grew to almost 25,000 civilians in World War II when over 70 submarines were constructed. Today, the shipyard provides overhaul, refueling, and modernization work on Navy submarines. One of the attractions in Portsmouth is the USS Albacore, a submarine launched at the shipyard in 1953. Its teardrop shape was considered revolutionary at the time. Today, the albacore sits on dry ground and is open for tours. And just down the road from the Portsmouth waterfront in the town of Newcastle is Coast Guard Station Portsmouth Harbor. Inside the Coast Guard Station is Fort Constitution and Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. The fort is accessible to the public most days, and the lighthouse is open for tours on Sunday afternoons from late May to mid-October. That's right, and listeners can find out more about the Lighthouse Tours by going to the Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse's website at www.portsmouthharborlighthouse.org. Cindy, you're the operations manager of the Friends Group, Mm -hmm. so you're pretty much always there for the Sunday open houses. And my other frequent co-host, Michelle Jewell Shaw, is a volunteer, and she's usually there. I'm the chairman of the group, and I'm usually there also. I hope some of our listeners will stop by. We still have a few more weeks of open houses this year. We do. And we had the lighthouse painted this year, so it's looking great. It's gleaming. Also, for anyone planning a visit to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, I recommend that you check out the Chamber of Commerce website at portsmouthchamber.org. That is an excellent idea. At this point, let's move on to our interview. The featured interview on today's episode of Lighthearted is with Tom Tagg. Cindy, please help me tell our listeners about Tom. Sure, Jeremy. Tom Tagg was born in Chicago, but grew up in LaPorte, Indiana. After retiring from a career in management of computer programmers, he was looking for something different to do. His passion for the history of lighthouse optics has made him the premier American authority on the history and technology of lamps and lenses. Tom has written many articles on lighthouse technology for the U.S. Lighthouse Society's journal, The Keeper's Log. He serves as the U.S. Lighthouse Society's technical advisor and formerly served on their board of directors, along with lead roles in several other lighthouse organizations. 
Tom's work as a lighthouse researcher earned him an F. Ross Holland Award from the American Lighthouse Council. He also has had a major hand in the development of what is now the J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog, and he has developed many other historical resources on the U.S. Lighthouse Society website. I recently had the opportunity to speak on the phone with Tom Tagg. Let's listen to that conversation now. So, Tom, uh, thanks so much for being with me today. We've uh, worked together on the Lighthouse Research Catalog in, in recent months, and over the years, you've always been my go-to guy for questions on lighthouse technology. And uh, today, uh, first of all, I, I'd like to talk uh, a bit about how you got so involved with lighthouses. I understand there's a particular lighthouse that has a lot of significance in your life. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Jeremy, thank you for having me. Uh, yes, when I was a boy, a uh, young teenager, I lived in Laporte, Indiana, and that's about 12 or 13 miles away from Lake Michigan. And I would uh, ride my bicycle over to Lake Michigan and go swimming uh, right at the base of the Michigan City East Pierhead Light, and I did that for several years and uh, enjoyed swimming in that area, but always was interested in looking at the light uh, while I was there, and when we first got married, my wife and I lived uh, maybe a quarter of a mile away from that lighthouse, hmm. and in the evenings we would come out and, and walk out underneath the, the uh, overhead walkway and walk out to the end of the lighthouse and watch the breakers break over the, the rocks at the end and so forth. So it was a lighthouse that I was interested in. And later on, when I uh, was able to retire at an early age, uh, I uh, decided that the lighthouses were something that I was interested in. I thought I'd learn a little bit more about them, uh, but that's the lighthouse that, that got me started. Now, your career was, uh, you were involved with management of computer programming. Is that is that accurate? Well, I did a little bit of a lot of things. I worked for NCR Corporation, which later became AT&T, and then went back to be an NCR Corporation. I managed uh, a group of uh, programmers uh, and I also did some technical work, mostly in mathematics, uh, trying to uh, review the, the cost estimates for the field service organization and uh, develop patterns and so forth within the numbers. So mm -hmm. uh, that I had an uh, engineering background. Uh, from school, mathematics, and, and uh, originally electrical engineering. So that's how I got involved. So after you retired, again, you got in, in, involved with lighthouses. And I'm wondering how uh, you got so involved with lighthouse technology and optics. How did, how did that interest develop? Well, actually, it, it kind of went the other way. I had been 
the head of a programming group and and sitting in an office coding all my life. And I decided I never wanted to do that again. <laughs> uh, so I I was interested in lighthouses, and it happens we went on a uh, grand tour of uh, Lake Superior and, and Lake Michigan. And on my way down the east, um, down the west coast of uh, the state of Michigan, uh, I passed the Little Fowl Point Lighthouse. And I kind of fell in love with that. It's a natural brick lighthouse. Uh, and so I began looking for information about it and found out that there you know, basically was no information about it. So I wrote a small booklet, the Little Sobble Point Light Station, and I sent that in to uh, Wayne Wheeler, uh, who was the head of U.S. Lighthouse Society. And within that little booklet, I had written about the lens and some of the lanterns, uh, features, and, and so forth. And he said in response to receiving the booklet, uh, that he was really interested in that. Uh, and there'd always been a section within the society's journal, the Keeper's Log, called the Clockwork Section, uh, which was supposed to be about technical things, but that no one had ever come along, or very few people had ever come along to write about that area, and would I be interested? And I said yes. And uh, so I kind of got back into the technology, and I learned about Fresnel lenses and uh, the various styles of lamps that were used and a little bit about glass technology and on and on and on. And uh, the more I got into it, the more fun it became. So I ended up writing a series of about 20 different technical uh, articles for the Keeper's Log uh, describing various technical points of lighthouses. It's not the thing for most people. Most people like the lighthouses themselves. Mm -hmm. But I thought it was important to record the technology and help people to understand how it worked, even if they only wanted to read it one time and forget about it. Mm. Well, I think you've done a, a great service by writing those articles. And I always think of you as kind of the guru of that uh, that aspect of uh, lighthouse you know, history and technology. And I thank you for answering a number of emails from me over the years where people ask me these kind of esoteric uh, technical questions that I, I haven't been able to answer on my own. So uh, you are the go-to guy for those those questions, and I appreciate that. Now, you uh, have been involved uh, for years with the development of many uh, features, uh, historical and technical features, on the U.S. Uh, Lighthouse uh, Society website. Uh, maybe you can uh, tell us a little bit about that. What are some of your favorite things on the USLHS website that people might not necessarily know a lot about that you'd like to uh, tell us about? Well, I was involved with the Society's Board of Directors, and we looked at the current status of uh, the Society back in, like, the year 2013 and 2014, and we realized that the website was 
that was available at that time was pretty outdated, didn't have a whole lot of information. When you searched for lighthouses or whatever, you would get us on Google's second page. Uh, We were that poorly identified. But uh, we decided we would go ahead and update the website. So that started in the year 2014, and we had a lot of people working on it, myself uh, and uh, uh, Skip Sherwood and Jeff uh, Gales and Jeff's brother, uh, Rich Gales, and I all worked on the, the design of the website. And uh, we added many, many things to it. One of the things we wanted to do was to cover some of the fun things in lighthouses. Generally, at that time, if you went to a lighthouse website, it was all history or all uh, photos of the lighthouse with little else. Uh, We wanted to cover some of the other items. Where could you find more about lighthouses? What could kids do with lighthouses? Uh, we got Eleanor DeWire involved uh, to uh, add her uh, teaching background and, and children background uh, to the website. So it became a fun project. We added some history. We added some technology. We added some children's stuff. We added some general fun things. And uh, today, if we go searching for lighthouse-related things on the web, you'll find that we're like number two or three uh, on the Google printout. So uh, we've managed to uh, improve the site quite a bit. The uh, J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog uh, is a, now a, a really major addition to the uh, the site, and it's been uh, I think a real labor of love that you've helped develop. It's uh, been uh, developing for, what, at least a couple of years now. Uh, so let's talk about that. Uh, first of all, maybe you could tell our listeners what it is, uh, basically what the research catalog is for people who might not know. Alrighty. Uh, our society has always maintained an archive of information both written information and photographs and things like that. Uh, Wayne Wheeler started that back in 1984, uh, shortly after the society itself was begun. And we accumulated photographs from various tours that were taken by the society. Some people just sent in the information. Uh, We gathered books into a library and so forth. We had over 10,000 slides uh, that had been collected and so forth. But all of this information was only at the society headquarters, originally in San Francisco and later at Point No Point, Washington, just outside of Seattle. And if any uh, society member or person writing uh, uh a book about lighthouses or basic researcher wanted to access the information, they had to come to us. The only way to, to see the archive was to come to the society's headquarters and look through it. And it's very difficult to look through 10,000 slides and all of that kind of stuff. 
So we decided back in 2013 to digitize that information. And all of those slides were digitized and so forth. Uh, we now had the information in a digital form, so at least that when you came to the society headquarters, you could use a computer to access it. But that still meant you had to come to the society headquarters. Uh, we then began a search for a method that would allow users and society members to access that data from home, hopefully, and uh, to be able to uh, do research from uh, their living room. So Candace Clifford, who was our historian at the time, and I, and uh, Jeff Gales, uh, began a project back in 2016 to see if we could develop a database that would be accessible over the internet for people to use uh, to look at the data and do lighthouse research uh, for American lighthouses. Uh, that took a long time. We tried various software that was available uh, for purchase, et cetera, found out none of that would hold the kind of data that we wanted, or at least not in the quantities and, and so forth that we had. Uh, so we ended up developing our own uh, software through an uh, IT guy named uh, Tom Wheeler. And uh, over a period of uh, two and a half years, we developed the Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog. Originally, it was just named the catalog. And unfortunately, uh, Miss Clifford... Uh, passed away at an early age of 57 yes. back last August. And so the society decided to name the catalog project after her, which is probably the best choice we could ever have made. And uh, so we now have the J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog uh, on the Internet. It's available through our website, uslhs.org, and you get onto our website and uh, there's some information about it and a little blue button you can click on that will take you there. Or you can go directly there by searching uh, through Google for archives.uslhs.org and that will take you directly to the catalog. It's uh, it's something that uh, will never really be finished in the sense that it's always growing, uh, correct? Yes, we're going to continue to build out the data probably for several more years. Uh, we're adding more details. Um, just today, we added some keeper photographs and we added some small craft photographs, of, uh, the kind of boats that were used directly at the lighthouse sites and so forth. So it is growing every day. Uh, there's now over a gigabyte of data out there on, on this particular website, and uh, it will be added to over time. Eventually, uh, we want to add access to lighthouses in other parts of the world. Uh, so we have data for that. 
that is being collected now. One of the things that our listeners could help us with is uh, we have a project going on right now where we're looking for keeper photos. So if anybody out there listening in, in, in the audience has an ancestor who was a keeper, uh, we're looking for a copy of that keeper's photograph that we could add to our database. Um, we don't don't need your actual photograph. What we need you to do is if you had a, a keeper in, in your family history, uh, use your cell phone camera, take a picture of the picture you have of him or her, and uh, you can email that picture to uh, an email address that is keepers at uslhs.org. That's K-E-E-P-E-R-S at U-H-L-H-S dot O-R-G. If you do that, we will gladly put your ancestor's photo up onto the website and uh, we'll caption the photo with his name or her name, uh, birth years and death years, uh, and where they work at the lighthouse that they worked at and any kind of uh, credit that you want. If you'd like to have your name on there as the the person who supplied the, the photograph would be more than happy to do that. So if you're, if you're a keeper family member, please send us a picture of your keeper so we can uh, memorialize that person uh, for the future. Yeah, that's that's great. I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, I I also want to add that uh, I'm uh, one of the people who is adding things to the the catalog. And in between uh, producing this podcast and posting Lighthouse News of the Week and other things in the USLHS uh, news blog, I am uh, adding keeper photos and various other uh, information and photographs to the uh, the catalog, including uh, material from my own collection that I've been gathering uh, mainly for New England lighthouses for the past 30 years. So it's fun being part of this project. And thank you to, to you and to everybody who's been involved in developing this for the last uh, several years. Well, well, we thank you for volunteering and taking the time to help us get this show on the road here. Yeah. It uh, could never have been done without a, a number of volunteers and uh, it certainly helped us when uh, you agreed to be one of them. Well, it's great to be part of it and again, it, it's certainly appropriate that, that it is uh, named for Candace Clifford who is one of the great uh, lighthouse researchers in the country and authors and uh, for those of for listeners who might not know, uh, Candace was such a great help to so many lighthouse organizations around the country with her passion for lighthouse history and the just uh, her skills as a researcher were really unsurpassed. So it's, it's absolutely appropriate it's named for her. So Tom, again, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate it and uh, continue success with all you do for the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Thanks, thanks so much. Well, it's been fun, and I appreciate the opportunity to let other people know what's going on with the Society and with these various projects. So thank you, Jeremy.
On today's history segment, we're going to tell you about one of the most colorful lighthouse keepers in New England history, Stratford, Connecticut native Theodore Judson. Judson became keeper shortly before the keeper's house and a tower at Stratford Point were rebuilt in 1881. Theed Judson remained keeper at Stratford Point for over 40 years, and the Judsons were mostly well-respected. But then there were the occasional odd stories from Stratford Point that earned the keeper the nickname Crazy Judson. It was a name not given lightly. headline in the Bridgeport Union in late July 1886 read, A Big Sea Serpent. The paper went on to report the following, quote, A sea serpent with pea-green whiskers passed down Long Island Sound in a big hurry Wednesday morning. He was plowing through the water at a 25-knot clip when he passed the Stratford Lighthouse and left a wake of foam behind him a mile in length. He was easily 200 feet in length, and his head was reared 20 feet above the brine. That afforded a good look at his whiskers, which were the rich, deep green color of bog hay. The big reptile was plainly seen from the lighthouse by keeper Theodore Judson, his wife, his son Henry, and his daughter Agnes, and by H.W. Curtis of Stratford, as well as by a number of people at Captain John Bond's place up the river. These latter saw only the loftily reared head, which at a distance looked like the tail funnel of a sound flyer. Keeper Judson seriously declared to a reporter that he could not be mistaken. I saw it plainly, he said, and so did my wife and children and Mr. Curtis. All of us are familiar with the appearance of a school of porpoises, and this sight was entirely different. It could be plainly seen without a glass. The other witnesses all corroborate Keeper Judson's statement, which bears the imprint of truth. Incumbency in the lighthouse service is prima facie evidence of sobriety, an element not always closely connected with stories of sea monsters. Still, the pea-green whiskers are inexplicable. This newspaper report dovetailed with the May 1896 sighting of a 300-foot sea serpent by keeper John D. Skipworth at Connecticut's Saybrook Breakwater Lighthouse. It seems that there was either a contagious hysteria on Long Island Sound or possibly a sly conspiracy of lighthouse keepers having a little fun by tweaking the press. Or maybe there really was a giant sea serpent. There were other reported sightings in Long Island Sound in that period, some possibly sparked by P.T. Barnum's offer in 1873 of $50,000 to anyone who could produce a sea serpent carcass. It was a July 1915 interview that earned Judson the crazy label for eternity. Here's what Judson told a reporter in 1915. Quote, Three days ago, I saw a shoal of mermaids off Lighthouse Point. I've seen them again and again, but it's only once I laid hands on one. She scratched me well, but I got her brush away from her, and I've got it yet. It's generally in the early morning or late afternoon that they gather around the rocks off the point. Sometimes I've counted as many as 12 or 15 of them, their yellow hair glistening and their scaly tails flashing. They're a grand sight. 
It was late afternoon when I happened to be out there alone. The sky was thickening for a storm and a fog was creeping up and I had just set the foghorn going. It seems to have an attraction for mermaids, just as the light has for moths. But all of a sudden I noticed this one sitting here all by herself, combing her long golden hair. I took a long look at her before I crept up to her, and it's just as well I did, else I wouldn't be able to give you much of a description. Everything happened so quick once I touched her. She had lovely gazelle eyes and a fair skin. She was just like a woman to her waist, and below that all silver spangled scales. I should say her tail was about three feet long. The upper part of her body was just a little smaller than the average woman. I should say she weighed, all told, about 75 pounds. To tell you the truth, I was hesitating in my own mind when I went out for her, whether I would keep her for myself. She was so beautiful. The mermaid didn't scream or squeak, but she had a tongue and beautiful white teeth. The only sound she made was a hissing noise, and it matched well to her temper." Unquote. The mermaid regrettably escaped when the keeper tried to grab her. Asked if he had ever tried to lasso a mermaid, Judson answered, might as well try to lasso an eel. But for anyone who was interested, the keeper was happy to produce the mermaid's hairbrush. He explained that mermaids took brushes and combs from the staterooms of wrecked steamers, accounting for the ordinary cheap look of the brush. The entire fishy tale was supported by Kate Judson and assistant keeper Will Petzold. Crazy or not, Judson was regarded as a highly competent worker. Quote, It is a true saying that when a keeper's light goes out, he can consider himself out of a job, unquote, he said in 1918. Agnes Judson, the keeper's daughter, gained fame as a swimmer and won competitions in the area. One July day in 1897, when she was 17, Agnes watched from the lighthouse as the seas became increasingly rough. Two fishermen about 100 yards offshore were trying to pull up the anchor of their small yawl, and the waves caused both to fall into the sea. Agnes ran down the lighthouse stairs. She called to her brother Henry, and both swam out to the fishermen. One of them was about to go under a second time when Agnes got a rope to him. Agnes and Henry managed to pull both of the men safely back to shore. When asked how she had summoned so much courage, Agnes replied, quote, why, I couldn't stand by and see those two poor fellows drown, could I? I just jumped in and helped them, same as anyone would have done who knows how to swim, unquote. Keeper Theed Crazy Judson retired in 1921. At the time, he claimed that he hadn't had a vacation in 39 years. When he died at 87 in 1935, the New York Times called Judson a picturesque character and, in an understatement, a raconteur of salty tales. It was said that friends never got him to retract his mermaid story. That's it for this episode of Lighthearted. Thanks to our guest, Tom Tagg, of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. And thanks, as always, to all the volunteers and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society in Hansville, Washington, around the U.S. and around the world. And thanks to everyone out there who works to preserve lighthouses and their history. If you love lighthouses, please do something to help save them. By visiting a lighthouse and paying an admission fee or making a donation, you are helping. Every dollar and every hour of volunteer time helps. 
Anything and everything you do is appreciated. Thanks so much for listening and keep a good light. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.